0: Uh, and then finally this morning, we're going to continue to worship the Lord with our, our giving. Um, if you're a regular part of Thrive Church, I encourage you to continue in your tithes. Uh, giving is unto the Lord. It is a part of our worship. It is a part of our declaration uh, that He is in control, that we trust Him with our finances. Uh, we are seeing the Lord provide miraculously and, uh, and continue to trust for that. Uh, but I also have a special opportunity this morning Um we're going to be receiving an offering today and, and next week, and even on over these next few weeks. Our friends Gary and Brenda Keen are part of Jacaranda Community. They're a ministry that serve uh, in the nation of Kenya, uh, and they serve the, the poorest of the poor in the slums of Nairobi. Uh, got an email from Brenda just a couple of weeks ago, letting us know that, of course, like the rest of the world, that uh, there are restrictions that have been p- uh, put in place including a curfew that uh, every night. Uh, so many of the people that they minister to and serve uh, work during the day so they can go home and buy food that night, which means that if they're not working, they're not eating. And so literally thousands, tens of thousands of people in Nairobi uh, are going without food, and, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a very serious situation. Of course, around the world, there are so many places where this is true, Uh, but we have a relationship with the Keens, and we have a relationship with the Jacaranda community, and so with our church council, myself, we've been praying about how do we partner. Uh, It takes $10. $10 can feed a family in the slums of Nairobi for almost a week. $10. That's not a lot, and I want to encourage you this morning. Would you, as you are able, would you consider giving to support a family that you might never meet the side of heaven, but you can bring real change and real transformation, a real difference and, and, and quite literally save the lives of people and, and families in a place that maybe you've never been to. Uh, in talking with our church council, uh, we have agreed to kind of kick this off by uh, giving enough money to feed 150 families. So that's, that's kind of our seed money. Uh, But we're encouraging you to add to that. So we want to start with 150 families, but we would love to see so many more. I want to encourage you, if you're hearing this message uh, and you're not a regular part of Thrive Church, you're still welcome to jump in and participate with this. Go to thriveglendora.org. We actually have a page set up, a missions page set up where you can go and read a little bit more about jacaranda and then there's a link where you can give through the tithely app just uh when under the, the giving category S- select jacaranda community and we're gonna we're gonna bless some families with with a meal uh and w- with food to eat and with uh help with uh, their rent so they didn't get evicted and uh in a season where we see people kind of hoarding let's be real for a minute people are kind of gathering and stockpiling we can make a real difference halfway around the world by just the bit that we give and so let's move in the op- opposite spirit as at church i want to pray for our giving this morning father god we thank you that you are our source that you provide every need according to your riches and glory god that we lack nothing because you are a good good father and we honor you with our giving today with our tithes with our offering in Jesus' name, and we pray that the giving that we give towards these families in Nairobi, Lord, would be multiplied. Even as Brenda had said in her email, Lord, like the loaves and the fishes, that they would be multiplied, in countless thousands of families, Lord, would be able to, to receive the nourishment they need to be able to survive through this season. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you today on this Palm Sunday. Uh, I have my palm branch here. We have a palm tree right out front of the, the church office here. And I thought, hey, I'm going to grab a palm, a palm frond, and we're going uh, to use that here in a few minutes. But it is Palm Sunday, and w- today uh, we're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to talk about who Jesus is. And uh, in the midst of our series entitled God Is, uh, we want to be able to look to him. Uh, we want to be able to worship him and continue to worship him as we've already done this morning, I do want to mention one of the things that we kicked off at the beginning of this year with this series. And God is, is we created a God is lectio divina journal. Uh, and if if you've been reading that, you noticed that this last Friday was the last of the reading in the journal. And so we actually have a new journal available. Uh, Right now, though, it is not available in print, but we do have a digital uh, format online at ThriveGlandor.org. You can scroll down that page. You can download a PDF version of this journal. Uh, The other thing that will be coming this week is we're going to create an Apple Books and a Kindle version as well so that you can upload that into your Kindle app. Uh, Most Kindle apps have the opportunity or the ability to, to take notes, so you could even take your notes right in uh write in that journal if you would like a hard copy of this journal uh of course we're we're limited a little bit in how much we can produce right now because of uh movement restrictions that are in place but if you would prefer to have a paper copy would you please send us an email or fill out a connect card and just indicate that so we don't overprint Uh, we we want to manage our resources well Uh, we'd be more than happy to print one for you Uh, But just please let us know. And I encourage you as we move into April and and this this next journal will cover us uh, from April through June. um, And there's there's some great passages in there. I encourage you each day to spend some time in the Word. The reading is not overwhelming. There is a section in the beginning of the journal that talks about what Lectio Divina is. If you're not familiar with that. Uh, And so take a time, take a minute to check that out. was saying you know how sometimes things don't go the way you expect them to go that was not planned that was not a sermon illustration but uh couldn't be more perfectly timed so our expectations and more specifically our unmet unmet expectations is one of the greatest sources of disappointment and tension, in our lives uh lots of arguments happen because of unmet expectations uh, lots, of, lots of plans go awry because of unmet expectations. So as I was saying in, in, bio, in the Bible, as we look at Palm Sunday, this is one of the things that was happening. There is this jubilation that's happening, but there's a sense of expectation in the hearts of the people that is misplaced. It looks like the right thing. But there's something behind it that that's a little misplaced. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 19 and start reading in verse uh, 28. It says this, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and, on, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I tell you, I tell you he replied, if they keep quiet they're rocks and stones will cry out. What an amazing scene as Jesus coming from the Mount of Olives comes towards the city of Jerusalem. It was an incredible spectacle. There's a valley that runs from the Mount of Olives down, uh, down into, uh, there's a valley right through the Garden of Gethsemane that comes back up to, the, to Jerusalem. And so what Jesus would have been seeing and what the crowd would have been seeing would have been this scene. This is a picture of the Eastern Gate where Jesus would have been approaching, where he would have ridden into uh, the city of Jerusalem. And you can see this is a valley. This picture would be taken standing on the Mount of Olives looking down at the eastern gate. You can notice in this picture, this is a modern picture, of course, that the gate has been filled in. Uh, And, of course, there is no temple that stands on that mount today. There is a mosque that is there today, Uh, and that, that gate has been filled in. But this would have been the gate where Jesus would have come into the city of Jerusalem, and as he went along, and as he rode, people it says that they had these these palm branches in their cloaks, and they were waving. And I mean, if you look at the thing as it moves, it might look a little funny through the video. But but but, you know, I I can I can wave my hand, and 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 there's some effect to that. But if I've got something like a palm branch in my hand and I'm waving this back and forth, and you imagine thousands of people lining the street, just waving these these palms, these branches before the Lord and, and singing His praise, it must have been an absolutely amazing spectacle. And I've got to tell you, the worship was not misplaced. Jesus is worthy. In fact, the theme this morning is this: God is worthy. God is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of everything that we can pour out to him and and bring to him and, and declare to him. See, Israel was waiting for their king, for their Messiah. And Jesus was and is that king. And he came into the city riding on a donkey, riding on a colt to declare that kingship, to, to declare the ushering in of his kingdom into this world. But in their waiting, the people had built an anticipation, an expectation of what the Messiah would be and what he would do. Their expectation was that he would free them from their captivity to the, uh, under the Romans and Roman rule. Their expectation was that he would drive out the foreigners from their land and reclaim the land and the nation of Israel. Their expectation was that he would just usher in a season of peace and prosperity. But Jesus didn't meet their expectations. He exceeded their expectations. And he did it in a way that they did not expect. The heartbreaking thing in this passage is that here on Palm Sunday, we celebrate and we we praise and we remember the praise of Jesus as he comes into the city, but just a few days later in the Passion Week, those same people would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. That Jesus, within a a few short days, would not meet those expectations the way they thought they should be met. That things didn't go the way they thought it should go. I want to bring three uh, quick points for us this morning to be aware of in our own lives because I think sometimes we can be just like those people. I believe that we have expectations of what God will do and how he will do it. And we can go to the word of God and we can can see that he is faithful, that he is good, that he is above all things, that he is in control, that he is our shepherd and all of these truths that we know to be about, uh, about who God is. But when it comes down to it, he is the one that is in control and we do not control him. That our expectations of him are not such that we can force him to move in a way that is contrary to his nature. I think we develop expectations of what God would do. And I think even in this season, as we come up against our own emotions, we come up against our own struggles, as we find ourselves limited, maybe in ways that we've never been limited before. In a season of time in history wh- where I keep hearing the word unprecedented, like we've never experienced, at least in my lifetime, I've never experienced anything like what is going on right now. And I know in my own life, so often what I have is an expectation that God will just move in a certain particular way. And that he would just rectify the situation, that he would bring peace and healing and prosperity. And and, and the fact is, he is doing those things. It just might not look the same way we want it to look. And so we have to be aware of the expectations we bring to the Lord as much as the people who did when they worshiped Jesus as he came into the city 2,000 years ago. The reality is, is that our hearts are no different that our posture so often is, the, is no different. And so what we want to do this morning is correct our posture before the Lord. On this incredible day, it's interesting to note that the, the Pharisees told Jesus, hey, tell the people to be quiet. And he said to them, listen, I'm not going to do that. They need to worship me. And if they're quiet, even all creation, the rocks will cry out, they will worship me. Jesus is worthy of praise. He is worthy of worship. He's worthy of our adoration, But we also need to be aware of what's happening on the inside of us. So my first point this morning is this, is that God is already moving on your behalf. You might not feel it. You might not see it. It might not be evident to you in this moment. But God is already moving. In fact, God has always been moving. The Bible says that he's aware of every day of our lives. Every day that has been numbered for us was laid out before we were even born. He knew that we would be in this crisis, in the midst of this pandemic. He knew that we would be dealing with the things that we're dealing. And before any of this, God was moving. See, it's not dissimilar to what was happening for the Israelite people, for the Jewish people. They had an expectation that their Savior would come, the Messiah would come. And he did come. And he did something far greater than just delivering them from Roman rule or ish, uh, ushering in. Uh, prosperity and peace, or driving the foreigners from the land. Jesus came to save their souls, to break the yoke of the enemy, to break the yoke of sin and death that existed. See, he did come to free them from captivity. He did come to drive out invading forces. He did come to bring peace. He just did it in a way that they didn't expect. And in their disappointment, they lead him, le- their disappointment leads them to crying out, crucify him. See, Jesus came to defeat Satan and reestablish the rule and reign of God on earth. And the fulfillment of prophecy we see in Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5, it says this, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was coming as a fulfillment of what the word of God had said. Jesus was was fulfilling an Old Testament, Testament prophecy and that prophecy existed because God was already moving. He already knew what needed to happen in order to bring salvation. He knew what needed to happen. See, God had a plan. He had a plan and he was working the plan. I love that make a plan and then work the plan. Make a plan, work the plan. Maybe in your house right now, you need to make a plan and work the plan. We have a plan in our house. Every one of our kids now cooks dinner on a different night of the week and they have to come up with what the meal is. They have to plan the meal. They have to prepare the ingredients. They have to work the plan and we have a set dinner time every night. We sit down to dinner around the table. And so uh, we have five, five young people in our house Five nights of the week, they each take turns. We work that plan. We have a chore chart. We haven't had a chore chart in a while in our house, but we now have a chore chart. We have made a plan, and we are working the plan. God had a plan. God still has a plan, and God is still working the plan. He is moving on your behalf, even if you can't see it, if you know don't feel it. Even if it seems different to what you want it to be, God is moving on your behalf. And and I want to mention this, that no plan of Satan can stand in his way. This pandemic, this sickness, I know that this this is not a plan of the Lord to bring bring suffering into the world. We live in a broken world. But every best attempt of the enemy to to stop the, the move of Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls backfires. I mentioned earlier that, that almost every revival in recorded history or since, since 2,000 years ago, uh, every single revival was birthed out of suffering and out of persecution and some kind of hardship because it's in these seasons that the, the plan of God becomes more evident to us that our big plans and our big thinking seems to be diminished and we're able to see God you are still in control you are worthy of worship and no plan of the enemy can stop you from moving forward so God is already moving on your behalf the next thing is this that God's answers don't always look like your answers the way that you would do it is not necessarily the way that God would do it in fact i've found in my experience in my walk with the lord it very rarely looks the way I want it to look. The plans rarely go the way I want it to go. It almost always goes differently. I'm going to tell you this morning, if, if, if I had it my way, if I, if I had mapped out my life, I wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now but I can look back over my life and I can see the places where God interdicted and and, and, and interrupted my life and said, Barry, that's not the plan I have for you. This is not the thing that I have for you. I'm going to redirect you. I'm going to move you in a different direction. And I'm so thankful that he has. And I felt so thankful that he did. See, Jesus came in on a colt, on a donkey. I don't know if you noticed, we don't have uh, a lot of royalty in the world anymore, but usually the ones that we do, if you think about England or or some other European nations, usually they have carriages that are not pulled by donkeys. If they're riding an animal, it's usually the most beautiful, majestic horse you've ever seen. See, kings ride stallions. They don't ride donkeys. Yet here we have the king of the universe riding into Jerusalem on a colt, on a donkey. You see now the crowd. There would have been so many people. Because this would have been the Passover. And so Jerusalem would have been packed. There would have been tens of thousands of people. Moving into the city. And they're going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on the top of a hill. All of the holy places. Were always built on top of a mountain. On top of a, a, at a high place. On top of a hill. And so they're going up to Jerusalem. As the passage says. You always go up. Into the house of the Lord. This mountain, this particular mountain is called Mount Moriah. And it's the same place where Abraham in the Old Testament went to sacrifice Isaac. And you can see the significance there. God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son as a foreshadowing of what God himself would do with his own son. So Jesus is riding to the top of Mount Moriah where Abraham had walked in obedience to the Lord. And then God brought in a different plan. And said, hey, I'm going to do something else. And, he, and, and there's the ram that's caught in the thickets and in the bushes. And he's able to uh, save his son's life. Mount Moriah is a holy place. You always go up to the presence of God. And you always walk into Jerusalem. One of the things that I've learned in the, in the couple of visits I've had, to, had the opportunity to have to Israel. Uh, is that when you go into Jerusalem... It's customary if you're going into worship that you walk into the city. You never ride into the city. You walk into the city as a sign of reverence to the Lord, of honoring the Lord. And in fact, the steps that went up into the temple or even into the synagogues were always uneven because what it forced you to do was to look down and, and watch where you were walking so you didn't trip. And, uh, and, and so there was a sign of reverence that people would have as they would come up into Uh, into the holy city. You would always walk. But here we find Jesus riding on a donkey. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is making a declaration about who he is. See, because the only person that would be allowed or have the right to ride into the city would be God himself. And so Jesus is making a declaration of, of his deity, of his messiahship as he rides into the city Of Jerusalem up to the temple mount but notice again he doesn't ride in on a noble steed he doesn't ride in on a stallion he rides on uh, on a donkey why because Jesus is is telling us in this moment yes I am the king but I'm a humble king I'm a king who serves who comes to serve and Jesus himself makes his statement about himself I I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life. And so he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey making this declaration. I'm here not to rule. At least not in the way that you think. I'm here to give my life so that you can have victory. So that you can be ushered into the kingdom of God. You see Jesus has the right and he has the authority to ride into the city. And we understand this about authority. Authority cannot be taken. Authority has to be given. It can only be be given. See, the kingship of Jesus and his place in the kingdom of God gave him the right to give us the authority to come boldly before the Lord. He puts himself on par with God because he is God. Can I tell you this morning, where the king is, the kingdom is. Where the king is, the kingdom is. Matthew 6, 9 through 10 says this, this, is, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus here teaching the disciples to pray. He says this, I'm praying this prayer. God, that your kingdom would be established on earth as it is in heaven. That your kingdom would be here and there. Establish your kingdom here on earth. And that prayer continues to be answered, that God's kingdom has been established here on earth. So God's answers don't always look like our answers. His solutions don't always look like our solutions. His his ways are not always our ways. But they're always the best answers. They're always the best solutions. They're always the best ways. They're always the best plan. God's plan is, is always the best plan can i i want to say that again i want you to catch this god's plan is always the best plan there's not god's plan and then plan b god's plan is always the best plan and our job as as followers of god as followers of jesus christ part of our job is this that we need to slow down enough to be able to say god what are you doing where are you moving What is it that you're up to? God, help rid me of my expectations. Help me get rid of the plans I've made and help me see what it is that you're you're doing. One of the gifts of this season that that we genuinely have is this, that we've been forced to slow down. Not not just as as a community or as a nation, the whole world has been forced to slow down. And in the midst of this, that we can stop that we can pause, that we can, we can eliminate the hurry and the busyness from our lives. And instead of just filling it up with other activity, that we can say, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Lord, we turn our attention to you. What are you up to in the world? That we would pray that same, Je- that same prayer that Jesus prayed, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life, in my home, in my children, in my work, in my community. Could it be, church, that maybe for a a long season now, we've been so busy that we've missed the voice of God in the midst of this. Let's stop, let's pause and say, God, what are you up to? What is it that you're doing? Help me realign my expectations and get them into the right place before you. Again, now more than perhaps at any other time in our lifetimes, that we have this opportunity to do this as a community. Then finally this morning, Jesus is worthy to be praised. He is absolutely and completely worthy of praise. And listen to me, he is worthy of praise because of who he is, not because of what he does. Jesus is worthy of praise because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah. He is the great I am. He is worthy of praise because of who he is not because of what he does. And I want to encourage you in this season as your heart and your mind and your emotions struggle to make sense of the time that we're living in, don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is worthy to be praised no matter what. It doesn't matter what the world looks around you. It doesn't matter what you perceive God to be doing for you or not. He is still worthy of praise. And one of the best things that we can do for our hearts during this season and for our families is to praise him, to lift his praise in our homes, to sing his praise, to declare his goodness over our children, over our lives, over the world that we live in. He is worthy of praise that will bring such a course correction to us. Acts chapter 6 and verse 25, uh, there's a story of Paul and Silas who get thrown into jail. And, and, And while they're in jail, they do the craziest thing. It says at about midnight, they're locked up. They've been abused. They've been accused. Things aren't going the way they expected them to go. And in the middle of this jail cell, what did they start doing? It says that they loudly started singing worship and praise to God. Loudly, not just quietly they didn't just hunker down in a corner and say hey let's say a quiet prayer let's just hope that Jesus hears us what they do in the midst of the tribulation in the midst of the trial and the persecution is they loudly declare the praises of Jesus and in the midst of that the the, the, the doors swing open and and they're freed from that place of captivity. I don't think there was an, ex- an expectation on the hearts of Paul and Silas that that would happen. They just simply came to Jesus and said, even in this dingy, dark, dismal place, we will choose to worship you. I want to encourage you, in whatever prison <laughs> you find yourself, whatever place where you are holed up, you might be thinking, oh man, this is this is bad. I can't get out. I'm stuck. You need to be able to say, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you no matter what, because Jesus is worthy of praise because of who he is, not because of what he does. See, Jesus knew that the expectations of the people were misplaced. He knew that they, they were not uh, looking towards the right things. He knew that they, he, they wanted him to do something for him that he, knew that he wasn't gonna do. But it's interesting that he doesn't stop them from worshiping. We read again in Luke 19, 37, he says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. When we praise, when we lift our voices, when we declare the glory of God, that our words have an impact in the the heavenly realm. That, that hell, the foundations of hell shake when we praise the name of Jesus. That, that when we do this in the physical, when we speak the praises of God in our physical, it has an impact in the spiritual. Jesus says to the Pharisees, no, I'm not going to tell him to be quiet, even though he knew the hearts of the people. Because Jesus is worthy of praise. No matter what the circumstance, he is worthy of praise. We are all facing different things. Uh, I saw a great post this week. It says we might be all, all be in the same boat, but we're not in the same storm. That this season is a lot more difficult for some of you than it is for others. That the storm looks different. The boat might be the same, but the storm looks different. But be reminded of this, that Jesus is with you no matter what the storm looks like. And Jesus is worthy of praise in the midst of the storm. Praise him because of who he is, not because of what he does. And I know this, it will minister to your heart more than anything else you can do. I know for so many that we're looking for places of peace. We're looking for encouragement. We're looking sometimes just to even, just to to laugh. But would you start by singing the praise of Jesus Christ? Would you lift his name on high during this season and allow him to minister to you in unexpected ways? Is it wrong for us to pray and ask God to move and bring healing? Absolutely not. We keep pressing in and we will keep praying and we will keep asking But in the midst of even the asking, as Paul says, that we pray with thankfulness. That we give thanks in the midst of the prayer, not because of the result of the prayer. Again, echoing this idea that Jesus is worthy of our praise. I encourage you to keep worshiping. We're going to turn to communion at this time. If you have the elements ready in your home, I encourage you to get those and pull those together This is the beginning of the Passion Week, uh, Passover, and we look forward to Easter, and it's in the midst of this week that Jesus would break bread with his disciples in the upper room. It's in the midst of this week that Jesus would suffer, that he would be accused, that he would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat drops of blood because of the anxiety and the stress that was on him because of what lay before him at the cross, It's in this week that he would stand before Herod and Pilate. It's in this week that he will suffer a beating and a lashing. It's in this week that Jesus would be nailed to a cross. And so as we turn to communion today, it's appropriate for us to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was broken and given for us. You see the cross and the empty grave become the ultimate expression of things not going according to our plans. I don't think we would ever pick those two in, in, instruments, the, the cross and the brutality of the cross and and a grave, the place of death. We would never pick those to be the signs of victory and the ushering in of the kingdom of God, yet that's the plan that God had. And it was a perfect plan that he initiated and brought into being. And so we get to celebrate that today can i get those those elements from you guys thank you and so we have the bread and we have the cup the the, the bread symbolizing the body of jesus broken for us that jesus on the Night he betrayed the word says that he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you. See God's plan in sending Jesus and Jesus's plan in coming was that he would suffer that beating with you in mind. That he would allow his body to be broken so that you could have wholeness in your life. To minister to to, to, to you in ways that you could never have expected and never planned for yourself. but Jesus says, this is my body. And he gives it willingly for you. Jesus, today we're thankful for your body. That you rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. You rode in with that triumphal entry. And the triumph, Lord, was not what the people thought it would be. But the triumph was even greater, Lord. It was beyond what they could even expect or imagine. Lord, I thank you that the victory that you secured through the beating of your body continues, it persists to this day, that we are still living in that victory. Even as we sang today, for the battle belongs to the Lord, that you fought the battle, that you won the war, that you secured for us through the the breaking of your body the healing and the wholeness and the restoration that we need. We give you praise in Jesus name as we receive together. Thank you Jesus. The cup was a seal of that of that promise. The writer of Hebrews says that Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus went to the cross willingly and shed his own blood, fulfilling the Old Testament requirements of a sacrifice that needed to be made. But he was the perfect sacrifice. And so he gave his life and shed his blood, his sinless, spotless blood on our behalf, so that his blood would not only cover uh, those that lived in that day, but cover all for eternity. Who would call on the name of the Lord? His blood is a seal, even as he said to his disciples, "I will not drink of this cup again until I drink of it in paradise." And when my, the fulfillment of my kingdom, and we're living in this place now, where God's kingdom is both in in heaven, but it al- is also on earth. As we as we continue to pray that prayer, but one day that kingdom will be established once and for all and everything will change and Jesus says that on that day he will share this cup with us and that we have entrance into that kingdom because of the sacrifice what a great promise and what a great gift Jesus we thank you for the promise and for the gift of your blood shed for us we receive today with thankful and joyful hearts that you have forgiven our sins, that you have broken the power of sin and the grave and of death. And that because of your shed blood, Lord, that, that the Father no longer sees that sin, it no longer separates us from him, that we have full access as joint heirs into the kingdom of God. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us through the shedding of your blood. We receive together in Jesus' name. Amen.